0: You are listening to the Central Church Podcast. To learn more about Central Church, including our gathering times, please visit GoCentralChurch.org. Today's talk comes from Pastor Ethan Crowder. If you have a Bible, go ahead and meet me in Luke chapter 10, is where we will be together this morning. Luke chapter 10. Um, And you may have seen this card uh, on the seat that you sat down on. uh, And that was not someone trying to save their spot, right? Uh, That was us saving a spot for you. Um, But what I want you to do is I want you to take this card and we're going to get to this card uh, But I want you to just kind of stick it behind your bible or uh, Whatever it may be um, and we will get to that here in just a minute Uh, My name is ethan. I get the privilege of being the pastor here at central And so uh, if you are new with us, we just want you to know uh, How grateful we are that you are here worshiping with us uh, And it's always our hope that you feel loved at central Um, And so any way that we can help you feel loved, uh, please, please, please let us know um well i love um interesting interviews with interesting people uh, i grew up uh, kind of as a nerd well let me change that I- I wasn't a nerd, I am a nerd, right? And I'm, I'm okay with that, I'm fine with that. So um, on Sunday nights, I would watch 60 Minutes with my parents. Uh, on Sunday morning, as we were getting ready to go to church, uh, we would have uh, a CBS Sunday Morning on, uh, listening to the interviews and the stories, and even today, uh, the way that I pass the time as as I drive. I listen to podcasts with interviews. I, I love good stories, um, and I love good, true stories about real people, and I love listening to those people be questioned just kind of about their life, or about their work, or about whatever it may be. A, a good interview uh, is hard to find. It's kind of an art. Well, as we look here at Luke chapter 10, uh, we're going to find Jesus being interviewed. Uh, now, here's here's something we know that I, I've learned over the years is, um, one, a good interviewer is hard to find, but then second is that sometimes the people doing the interviewing are coming with kind of, we might say, false motives, right? Uh, or not the purest of intentions. Maybe they're, they're trying to do an interview to try to get a gotcha or whatever it may be, and as we look here in Luke chapter 10, that's what we're going to see. We're going to see Jesus being interviewed uh, by a gentleman, and he's going to ask him some questions, and he's not asking Jesus these questions uh, because he really uh, is curious about what Jesus is going to say. But instead, he's trying to trip Jesus up. Uh, he's, he's trying to trap Jesus uh, in his words and with these questions. And uh, as we're going to see, you cannot trap Jesus. Right, if you are going to try to trap someone up or or trip someone, Jesus isn't the one to do it. Right, everyone else is playing checkers. Jesus is playing chess. Right, it's just completely different. And so, as we look here at Luke chapter ten, we're going to look at this parable of the good Samaritan, and we're going to see this: that everyone is your neighbor. Everyone is your neighbor. Last week we started this series asking this question: Who's your neighbor? Uh, We pulled that question right from this passage, and really, what we're going to see is that might not even be the best question to ask. Uh, But to answer that question, who's your neighbor? It's everyone. Everyone is your neighbor. Uh, Well, hey, we're going to be in Luke chapter 10. We're going to start in verse 25. Uh, Let me invite you to stand as we honor uh, the reading of God's perfect and precious and living and active word uh, this morning. Uh, Starting in verse 25, we're going to read down to verse 37. Verse 37. As he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. This is God's word. You can be seated. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word, that it's true. Father, thank you that it's living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. Uh, Father, I pray that you would be with us this morning, that you would speak to us through it, Father, I pray that you would convict us, that you would convict me where we need to be convicted, that you would encourage us where we need to be encouraged. And Father, I pray that we would be equipped to go and do likewise. Father, we pray this and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, As we look here at Luke chapter 10, as is often the case uh, when we read the Gospels and when Jesus is telling a story, Jesus isn't uh, he's not going to give us these ideas to kind of hang our hats on because he's he's telling stories He's teaching through parable. And so uh, as we look at these scenes, really We're going to see kind of some movements in the scene. And so uh, we see that everyone is your neighbor That's what jesus is teaching us Uh, But as we look at this passage, we're going to see. Okay. Well, what does it mean? How does this work out in our lives that everyone is our neighbor? And so first uh, we have this warning against worthless knowledge it's a warning against worthless knowledge. Now, knowledge without action is worthless. See, it might be obvious to everyone in this room that everyone is your neighbor. Maybe for some of us, that's, that's new news to you, right? Maybe when you think about who is your neighbor, you think about the person who lives on the right or the left or in front of or behind you. But we can all, let's just for the moment say that we all already knew that everyone is your neighbor. But if we didn't do anything with that knowledge, if we didn't do anything with that information, if it didn't change anything about us, then that knowledge is worthless. We can know all of the mysteries of the universe, but if we never use that to change the world, well, then what difference does it make? See, knowledge without action is worthless. Now, we pick up here in Luke 10. If you were here last week, Then you know that we started at the beginning of Luke 10, and here uh, we're picking up towards the end of Luke 10. But uh, if you weren't here last week, let me give you kind of a a quick summary of where we have been. Uh, So last week, Jesus sent out, he commissioned uh, the 72 followers. He had just talked about the great cost of discipleship, and that uh, basically when Jesus bids a man, he bids him come and die. When Jesus calls a man to follow him, he he calls us, he calls you, he calls me to lay down all that we have and to take up whatever it is that Jesus calls us to. And so on the heels of that, he sends out these 72, and he's told these 72 uh, that they are to go, but that the harvest is plentiful. The problem here is that the laborers are few. And so that if this harvest is going to be reaped, then uh, these 72, and we as well need to be praying that the Lord would raise up workers for the harvest. Well, if we were to keep reading through Luke 10, we would see where these 72 came back and they came back celebrating, amazed by what it is that Jesus had done through them, Uh, amazed by the power that had gone out through them. And then right kind of on the heels of that, Jesus prays an interesting prayer. Look at verse 21 of Luke 10. In the same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, 'I I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. Now these things that he's talking about there in verse 21, these are the things of the kingdom. These are the things of the gospel. He he says, Father, I, I thank you that you have hidden these from the wise, but you have revealed them to the little children. Now what we're going to see here in this parable of the Good Samaritan, verse 25 down to verses 37, is really Jesus giving us an example. Luke giving us an example of what does it mean that these things have been hidden from the wise? These are an example of that hiding. So verses 25 through 28, this lawyer stands up to test Jesus. Now, uh, two things to know here. So when here when Luke's talking about this lawyer, this isn't a lawyer the way you and I would think of a lawyer today. Uh, This is a teacher of the law. This is an expert in the law of the Old Testament, and he stands to test Jesus, but what the word test here actually means, the weight kind of it carries, is that he stands to tempt Jesus. He stands to, to try to catch Jesus in a trap, as we've already said, and so he stands and he asks Jesus a question. And the the question that he asked, I actually think it's an important question. Look at verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. Listen to the question they ask. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? I think it's maybe the most important question that you and and I could ask. It's maybe the most important question uh, that this uh, lawyer could have asked. And yet Jesus responds with another question. He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? See, throughout his ministry, when when a question is asked, Jesus always points back to the scriptures. For Jesus, the most fundamental, the most foundational starting point was the Bible, it was the Old Testament. And so, really, what this means is one, you can't understand who Jesus is without the Old Testament. And you can't understand what Jesus came to do apart from the Old Testament. See, Jesus didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. Right? J- Jesus came to give us a picture to show us what does it mean, what does it look like for someone to fulfill the law perfectly. And so here, whenever this lawyer comes and he, he asks Jesus this question, Jesus, he doesn't pontificate, though he could have because he's God. Instead, what does he do? He says, well, what does the law say? What does the Old Testament say? And then, how do you read it? And and he's not saying, like, do you read it in the morning or do you read it at night, right? Do you you read it in the ESV or in the KJV? No, he's saying, how do you understand it? What do you understand the law to say? And in verse 27, the lawyer answers the question, And get this, he gets it right. Verse 27, and he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And look at Jesus's response. You have answered correctly. You have the right knowledge. Jesus is saying, if this was a test, A plus. If this was a test, gold star. You get it right but then look at what Jesus says. Do this, and you will live. Now, we're gonna come back to that phrase, do this, and you will live, here in just a minute. But uh, first, let's go back to verse 27. Shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Now, as we read this, we shouldn't think that, that this means that we as people are divided into a heart, and a soul, and a mind. No, what Jesus is doing here is he's, uh, or what the Old Testament is doing that the lawyer's quoting here is he's saying that we are to love God with all that we are. We are to love God completely. We are to love God with that deepest seat of who we are, our heart. We're to love God with our emotions, our soul. We're to, to love God with our mind, which is intellectually. We're to, to love God with our strength. You and I are to love God in every way that we can with all that we have. Right? That's, that's the point. And you're to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, that's the shorter phrase, but I think that one might actually be a little more concrete, isn't it? Right. Well, what does it mean to love your neighbor as yourself? Well, it means to treat your neighbor the way you want to be treated, right? That golden rule. It means to love your neighbor the way that you would want to be loved. Love your neighbor the way that you would want your son or your daughter to be loved. Love your neighbor the way that you would want your wife or your husband to be loved. Now, then verse 27, the lawyer's actually, he's quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, and Leviticus 19, 18. Jesus says, you've answered correctly, You you get the passing grade. See, the lawyer has the right knowledge. The lawyer gets it. But he's got knowledge that isn't worth anything. Knowledge for the sake of knowledge is pointless. Knowledge puffs up, right? This lawyer, he was puffed up. He knew what the law said. He just had no idea what it meant, right? He he knew what the law said. He just had no idea what to do with it. How, how does this apply to my life? How, how does this apply to his life? Because see, here's the thing: it's not enough to just know things, right? Maybe you've seen those shirts that say like, "I know things and I'm cool" or, or something like that, right? It, it's not enough to just know things because do you remember what James says in James chapter 2 verse 19 he says you believe that God is one and you do well but even the demons believe uh, I wonder this morning if, if you and I if we have demon faith where we've got right theology we're orthodox our lives just don't reflect it right the, the, We we can pass all of the tests, right? I've I've memorized all of the Awana verses. I went to RAs and GAs and Brown, whatever it may be, right? I I went to all of it. But does any of that matter? Does it matter that, that we've got all of the knowledge that we can wow With all of our Bible knowledge, we can pontificate on all of the finer points of theology. And yet the last time we shared the gospel with an unbeliever, uh, we had a different president. The last time we shared the gospel with an unbeliever is a time that we can't even remember. See, knowledge without action is pointless. I've always been amazed by cookbook collections because it seemed, and I remember growing up, it seems like every home has the same collection of cookbooks, right? Maybe that red and white Better Homes and Garden binder, right? Y- y'all, know, y'all know what I'm going with? If you were to come to my house and you were to walk into our pantry, uh, you would think that uh, me and Anna, that we are very adventurous cooks and very uh, creative eaters, but let me tell you what's going to happen this afternoon when we get home. Uh, we're gonna get home and we're gonna take a Sunday afternoon nap because that's the Lord's will, uh, and then uh, we're gonna we're gonna wake up and we're gonna play with the kids, and then tonight we're gonna sit down and Anna's gonna look at me and she's gonna say, "What do you want to eat this week?" And I'm gonna say, "I have no idea," right? Uh, and. Uh, Then I'm going to say, I can't think of anything. Um, And then she's going to say, she can't think of anything. And we're going to go back and forth. And and then next Friday, we're going to complain that we keep eating the same things over and over again. Even though if you were to walk 10 feet, you would go into our pantry and you would find an impressive collection of cookbooks, right? See, we have all of the knowledge in the world for what to cook and how to cook. We just don't use it. We have all of the knowledge in the world knowing that everyone is our neighbor, we just don't use it i I would say even many of us if you've been in church for any length of time you might even have a gospel presentation memorized you might have your favorite way of sharing the gospel here's the thing and can i tell you I'm, i'm preaching to myself here before i'm preaching to anyone else i might have my favorite way of sharing the gospel but how often do we actually share the gospel How often do do we actually walk across the room? How often do, do we actually take the moment and go talk to our neighbor? See, we can know who our neighbor is, but here's the question, does it matter? Does it matter for eternity that you know who your neighbor is? Does it matter for eternity that I know who my neighbor is? See, there's a warning here against this worthless knowledge. But then Jesus points us to surprising compassion. Now, compassion shouldn't be surprising, should it? But in our world, it often is. And really, I don't think that this is a unique part of our culture. I actually think that this has been a problem or this has been kind of a point of culture of the world from the beginning. Because we see the surprising compassion here in Luke 10. If everyone is our neighbor, then compassion should be normal, especially it should be normal among Christians. But yet, oftentimes, we are surprised by it. In verse 29, the lawyer, this teacher of the law, he's going to ask a second question. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now understand, this is dangerous territory. The moment that you feel the need to justify yourself to Jesus is a bad place to be. Or the, the moment that you get to the point where I need to justify myself to Jesus, because understand this: Jesus justifies, right? Jesus is the justifier, not us. But this this lawyer, he's desiring to justify himself, and so he says, "Who is my neighbor?" Right, this is around the heels of Jesus saying, "Go and do likewise," right? You, you know you should love Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus said, "All right, go and do likewise," and you will live and so this lawyer this teacher of the law he says well well jesus who who is my neighbor now this would have been common thinking for um the the Jews of the day because Jewish tradition would oftentimes take commands and then split hairs on the commands and and give you commands about the commands right so that if you want to keep this command well what this means is that you can't do this and 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 so uh, that love your neighbor as yourself had actually been explained away as well you need to love your neighbor as yourself unless they're a Gentile or a Samaritan Uh, because Gentiles were unclean and Samaritans were unworthy of the blood that pumped through their veins. Because Samaritans were the descendants of those uh, who had intermarried with uh, Jews and Gentiles. And so the Jews looked at Samaritans as less than. They looked at Gentiles as less than. So you should love your neighbor as yourself unless they look like that. You should love your neighbor as yourself unless they look like this. Now, this isn't the point of this passage, but I feel like we need to be clear here. Like Racism should be damned to hell, right? That it has no place in the kingdom. And oftentimes what would happen in Jesus's day is that they would would argue against, they would justify their lack of love for their neighbor based on the color of their skin or, or who their ancestors were. And Jesus says here, you have completely missed it. You don't understand what's happening. And so here, uh, he answers this question from this lawyer with a story, and it's a, a familiar story to us, and it actually would have been a familiar setting for Jesus and for his audience. Look here verse 30, Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers. Now, uh, this road from Jerusalem to Jericho was 17 to 18 miles long. It was a common, uh, a commonly used road, but one of the things that was well known about it, in fact, you can go today and stand in these places, is that there were uh, points where it would come to rocky, uh, bouldery terrain, where violent robbers, violent thieves, one commentator said violent bandits would hide, and then as a lone traveler would come through, they would jump out, and they wouldn't just rob them, but they would violently beat them. They would strip them of everything they had, clothes included, to leave them naked and half dead, because it wasn't enough just to take what they wanted, they needed to inflict violence. And so when Jesus says this, everyone knows what he's talking about that they've left this man half dead. And then in verse 31, we're introduced to a few characters. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. So he's gonna introduce us to three characters, but let's just talk about the first two for a moment. First, a priest. Jesus makes it clear that the priest goes out of his way to avoid helping this man in the ditch. Verse 31, he was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. He went around him. Now, maybe it's because the priest didn't want to risk becoming ceremonially unclean by touching a dead body, but in the process of not risking becoming ceremonially unclean, he becomes morally unclean, right? By by refusing to love his neighbor, Now, Jesus gives us the idea here that the priest, he didn't avoid the man in the ditch because of his great piety and devotion. He avoided the man in the ditch because here's the thing, it's inconvenient to love your neighbor. And so this priest passes by on the other side and the next, what do we have is we have a Levite. When he came to the place, saw him and he passed by on the other side as well. Now, a priest, their job uh, was to offer sacrifices in the temple, uh, pleasing to the Lord. They were descendants of Aaron. The Levites, uh, they were to assist the priest uh, in their duties in the temple. The problem with the, the priest and the Levite is that they knew what the law required. They knew what it said, but they ignored it. Because loving your neighbor is typically not easy. Loving your neighbor is typically inconvenient. What I have found is the, the best times to love your neighbor are the time when you don't have the time. Right? The, the best time to love your neighbor m- might be when you are already running late to that appointment. The, the best time to love your neighbor might be when you are just sitting down to eat. The best time to love your neighbor might be right whenever you're about to start watching that TV show or read that book or, or whatever it may be. The, the best time to love your neighbor might be when things are going really well in your life, really bad in their life, and you just don't want to get involved, right? right? I just don't have the energy. I just don't have the time. I, I, I just don't have the desire. And then Jesus, he, he introduces us to the third character, verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. This is surprising compassion, unexpected compassion. Look at what he does. He went to him. He bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? So this Samaritan, this person that the, the teacher of the law that Jesus is speaking to here would have viewed as unclean, he goes to the man in the ditch, says that he binds his wounds, he, he would have wrapped them in wool, and then he pours wine and oil on them. The, the oil of the day was thought to soothe, uh, the, the wound Some of you are saying See I told you my essential oils They work right uh, uh, Then uh, some uh, th- Then they would pour wine On the wound It's believed to be a disinfectant and, and so he He cleans up this man Then he, he takes him Puts him on his own animal Takes him to an inn And then the next day He goes to leave But before he leaves He takes out Two denarii, and he gives them to the innkeeper. Now, two denarii, how, how much is that? That was the equivalent of two days' wages. He tells the innkeeper, Look, I, I'm going to give you this. I think this should cover it, but I don't want you to spare any expense in caring for this man who is hurt. And when I come back, when I return from my travel, he's probably a businessman, I will pay, I will repay you whatever that extra cost is, but whatever it is, just see to it that this man is cared for. Just see to it that this man is. Loved. See, we learned some important lessons about loving your neighbor that compassion isn't planned. It's often inconvenient. It typically will be dirty and it may cost more than you expect, but it's always worth it. See, loving your neighbor is difficult. If loving loving your neighbor was easy, we wouldn't have to talk about it. Loving your neighbor may mean coming to them and their lowest point. Loving your neighbor may mean coming alongside them when their life is great. But loving your neighbor is always ultimately about pointing them to Jesus. So I love the way Paul Tripp talks about love. He says that love in the Bible can be defined like this, that it's uh, love is willing self-sacrifice for the redemptive good of another. So husbands, the way you love your wife is willing self-sacrifice for her redemptive good. The way we love our neighbor is that we willingly self-sacrifice for their redemptive good. So it means that we go to the hurting, we go to the oppressed, we, we go to uh, the, the outcast, we go to, as Jesus would say, the least of these. One of the things that I, I love about Central is I love that we, we have been a church, and by God's grace, we're continuing to be a church that as a church, we actively engage in trying to love our neighbor. Through 4 Central Florida, our 4 Central Florida ministry, many of you have engaged through that. And you've found opportunities to love your neighbor. You heard Pastor Reed talk about Night to Shine. And I'm excited about Night to Shine that we get to host that. We get to love our neighbors. But, but here's what I found is that when loving your neighbor is programmed, it's easier than when it's not. Right? When loving your neighbor, you put it on your calendar and you know, all right, February 10th is coming or, or this is coming or that is coming. It's easy to look forward to it. But how do you love your neighbor whenever they enter crisis? How do you love your neighbor whenever life comes at them fast? And one thing's I' about Central is, is many of us, many of you are engaged in that. I mean, even this week, we have, a, we have a family this week who they started fostering twin girls. That's loving your neighbor. That's redemptive self-sacrifice. But loving your neighbor is typically not easily programmed typically not easily scheduled instead oftentimes loving your neighbor requires you to look for opportunities to love right it it requires you uh, to look for opportunities to care for them and see loving your neighbor is really how the door is opened for that redemptive good right it's cliche but they won't they won't care how much you know until they know how much you care That's true. It's cliche because it's true. And so if we're going to love people, if we're going to love them to Jesus, then it means we've got to be willing to get our hands dirty. So we've got this warning against worthless knowledge. He's pointing us to surprising compassion. And finally, he's calling us to merciful living. Now, Jesus doesn't end the story. He doesn't end this scene by just stopping the story and saying, all right, go away. No, he, he ends the story with a call to action. Verse 36, he says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And notice Jesus flips the question that the lawyer asked in verse 29, from who is my neighbor to who proved to be a neighbor? See, if we're asking the first question, we're asking the the wrong question. In fact, if we're asking who is our neighbor, we may be asking, not always, but we may be asking because we're seeking to justify ourselves. The right question is not, who is my neighbor? The right question is, how can I be a neighbor? The right question is, how can I leverage my life to be a good neighbor today? Verse 37, the the lawyer answers Jesus' question. He said, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. What starts with this attempt to trap Jesus to tempt Jesus, ends with the lawyer being confronted and corrected. You can almost hear in verse 37 the, the conviction in the lawyer's words, can't you? That's the one who showed him mercy. That's, that's who is the neighbor. Now, Jesus doesn't tell this story simply to wow us with his storytelling ability. He doesn't tell this story simply to display that he's a great storyteller. No, the purpose is at the end of verse 37. Jesus shocks the crowd by telling the the Jewish teacher of the law to be like the Samaritan. This was unthinkable in Jesus's day, but that's what Jesus does, right? He does the unthinkable. He does the surprising. He, He tells the teacher of the law, look, you think you have it all figured out. You don't know anything, right? You need to be like the Samaritan you need to be like the one who you think is so unclean because he's the one who's figured out what it means to be a neighbor. He's the one who's figured out what it means to have compassion. See, the point of the parable is not that if we love our neighbor, then we get eternal life. If we go back up to verse 27 and 28. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. Then verse 28, Jesus says to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. See, eternal life begins with loving the Lord with all that you are. And then when you love the Lord with all that you are, that overflows and shows, it's seen in, loving your neighbor as yourself. See, loving your neighbor is an overflow and it's a result of loving God. In fact, the way that you love your neighbor says something about your love for God. Remember, Jesus says that whenever you do this to the least of these, you do it to me. Now, none of us loves our neighbor perfectly. In fact, many of us have failed to love our neighbor perfectly this week. None of us love our neighbor perfectly all the time, but Jesus doesn't tell us this parable to guilt us. Instead, whenever we see it rightly, when we see it clearly, we realize that the Good Samaritan is a story of what Jesus has done for us. See, often we read the the story of the Good Samaritan. We rightly put ourselves in the place of the, the priest or the lawyer or the Levite. I think for many of us, that's where we are. But before we put ourselves there, we have to see ourselves as the one in the ditch. See, we were the ones who were left in the ditch because of our sin and because of our rebellion, and yet Jesus comes to us. He pays a great price for us, and then he doesn't leave us. See, the, the Good Samaritans ultimately pointing us to and reminding us of the fact that when we were left dead and naked in the ditch, jesus came to us in fact the way paul says it in philippians 2 is that he humbled himself to the point of death even death on the cross and so if you, you want a, a perfect picture a real picture of what does it mean to be the good samaritan what does it mean to live this kind of life well then you don't want to just look at the story of the good samaritan you want to look at the story you want to look at the good samaritan and understand who the story is about the story is about jesus and when we realize that we were the one in the ditch and that Jesus paid the price for us to be redeemed and healed and forgiven, well, then that should drive us, that should propel us to go after those who are still in the ditch. Not that we're the ones who heal and save and redeem, but we know a guy. right? We know the one who can. We, we bring them to Jesus and we bring Jesus to them. See, that's what this story is about. This story isn't, well, yeah, I need to be more like the Samaritan. No, this story is, uh, praise God for Jesus. This story is that Jesus has come to us. Jesus has paid a price to redeem us. And now that we have been redeemed and healed and restored and forgiven by Jesus, that changes everything. See, the point of the good Samaritan is that everyone is your neighbor. And that this this can't just stop knowing it. It can't just stop with knowledge. It's got to overflow. It's got to move to action. Last week we issued kind of challenged us to pray that Luke 10 to prayer. Um, whenever I got back to uh, my office, I, I pulled out my phone, and by the end of the day, we had had something like two hundred and something people had committed uh, to pray every day. It, at 10 o'clock, and so hopefully, maybe this week, you're getting those reminders that at 10.02, just a minute ago, uh, my watch buzzed to tell me that we needed to stop and pray. Uh, Do it afterwards, right? Um, But one of the other things we did is, uh, when you went to that page, that Hey Neighbor page, one of the things that was on there was uh, an app. You'll see this on the screen. It it was an app um, called uh, Bless This Household, Blessing. I forget what it's called at the top of my head. Um, But what you see on the screen um, is this, these are people in our church body uh, spread out throughout Central Florida who said, hey, I want to pray for my neighbors. And so this week, uh, 260 people have taken the challenge to pray for their neighbors day by day by day. Um, So if you haven't signed up for that app, uh, you don't have to do it on your phone. You can do it on the computer uh, every day. The way I'm using it is every morning at six o'clock, I get an email. Uh, and in that email is a, a, a list of uh, five or so of my neighbors uh, and an example prayer to pray for them. And so that's what I've been doing. Uh, every day I've been praying that prayer for my neighbors. And maybe you say, hey, I don't, I don't want to do that. Well, here's where this card comes in. All right. Uh, I want you to grab that card. It was, on, uh, it was on your seat. And really what this is, is this is just a way to remind you to pray for your neighbors. So I want you to take this card, and maybe even now, maybe right now you know who your neighbor is. Or or maybe you live in kind of a new community. Maybe you've just moved. Maybe you don't know who your neighbor is, but maybe you can say like Red House, right? Or guy who drives really fast. Whatever whatever it may be, right? You you put that on there. And then here's what we want you to do. I want you to take this card, and I want you to put it somewhere that you're going to think about. But put it somewhere that you're going to see. So maybe it's on uh, your bathroom mirror. Maybe it's in your car somewhere. Maybe it's with your Bible so that as you read your Bible each day, you're reminded to pray for that neighbor. But, But here's what I want you to do. Even right now, I want you to take that pen that's in the pew in front of you or the pen that you have, and I want you to go ahead and write that neighbor's name down on this card. Right, maybe say, Ethan, I've got like six neighbors. I don't know who to pray for. Well, pray for the one that you like the least. I, I, I don't know. right? Uh, pray, pray for the one that you like the most. Whoever it is, right? just write that name down. Because here's the thing. Reaching all of your neighbors starts with reaching one neighbor. Right? Praying for all of your neighbors starts with praying for one neighbor. So I want to invite you to, to grab that card, write that neighbor's name down, and then put it somewhere and do what it says. Right? I'm committing to pray for my neighbor. Maybe, maybe just today you use or each day this week you use that prayer, right? Jesus, give me your eyes for the one and help me to see those around me the way you see them. That's what we want to invite you to do, right? It's, we know that we, we haven't been given this knowledge just for the sake of knowledge. We've been given this knowledge to put into action. And so that action starts with praying. You can go to that, uh, that page that we had up last week. It's gocentralchurch.org slash neighbor. You can sign up. If you didn't sign up for those text alerts last week, you can sign up for them this week. And also on there, you'll find resources uh, to help you uh, on how, uh, how can you be a better neighbor. Next week, we're going to have some things we're going to put in your hand to, to kind of encourage you to be a neighbor. Uh, This week, I was hearing stories from people who had already ordered some of the things on there, or books. They had already ordered the ebook versions of these books, and they were reading it because they want to be serious about reaching their neighbors. I mean, you don't have to order a book to do it, but but those are the kind of resources that are on there, and we'll have more for you next week. But I just want to invite you and encourage you to pray for your neighbor. Maybe maybe this morning, you'd say, Ethan, I, I need to talk more about this This Jesus who's come and who's rescued and restored and redeemed and healed and all of that. Man, we would love to talk with you about that. At the end of this service, we'll have our Next Steps team down front. They would love to talk with you. Uh, We'll have staff in the lobby. You can find them kind of towards the left or towards the right, right out those doors. They're there ready to talk with you, ready to pray with you about this Jesus who left heaven, lived a perfect life, died an atoning death, a, a sinner's death to take your punishment, to take my punishment. And then he rose from the grave and he offers us that same life. And so if you've never experienced life, if you've never experienced forgiveness, and we want you to know that today. Right, that's why we are doing what we're doing today is because we want people to know. We want eternity to be different because of Central Church. Uh, so if that's you, man, we would love to talk with you. We would love to pray with you. Would you pray with me now? Lord, thank you for your mercy father thank you that you have come to us lord thank you that that you have come to me lord that you didn't leave us in the ditch but father instead you have you have sent jesus christ your one and only son to come to us and to redeem us out of the ditch Father, that Jesus has come to us and he has made a way for us to be healed. He has paid the price for us to be redeemed and restored. Father, I pray that we would know and that we would taste and that we would see and that we would experience the the good news of the forgiveness that Jesus gives. And Father, I pray that as we experience this forgiveness, Lord, I pray that we would be propelled, we would be driven, we would be motivated to love our neighbors, not just as we love ourselves, but Father, that we would love our neighbors the way that we have been loved in Jesus Christ. Father, that we would be ready and willing to sacrifice, to love them, to love them right where they are, to meet the need that they have. And Father, I pray that as we show the love of Jesus, we would be faithful to share the love of Jesus. And Father, that we would love people all the way to Father, we pray this and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to The Central Church Podcast. For more information on how to take your next step, visit us online at gocentralchurch.org.